All right, so we're going to get started. Just a quick recap. Um, last week, we discussed 1 Peter chapter 3, and we talked about the context of 1 Peter, and um, Peter was writing his letter, this letter, to a persecuted church, and it's important to understand that because persecution during this time was a very serious thing. Um, Christians were, were being threatened. This was during the reign of Nero, which was, uh, he was very tenacious towards Christians. He didn't like them. He threatened them. Um, a lot of them died during this time. We talked about what it means to, to, um, to have an apologetic. And apologia, is, it's very simple. Um, it, the, the fancy word apologetic, apologia means apology. In the Greek, it means to defend and make an appeal. So we defend our faith. At the same time, we make an appeal to the person we're speaking with about Jesus so they can understand him and trust him. So start off with a quote. Um, Karen H. Jones says, quote, When one's Christian faith is criticized and even mocked, it is natural that one may begin to doubt the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you can imagine at this time, the church was being persecuted, um, it was a very serious time, a very dark time for them. They didn't know um, what would come next from King Nero. Everybody hated Christianity. It wasn't a popular thing like it is in America. And so some people were starting to doubt their faith. They were questioning it. And of course, Peter, being the apostle that he was, wanted to encourage them and give them some very specific instruction that we're going to see tonight um, that's important for us to know. So the community was on the edge of giving up. I mean, has anyone ever been on the edge of giving up? I've been on the edge of giving up quite, quite often. Um, maybe there's a situation going on in our life that we're not comfortable with or something has happened that uh, made us doubt or made us question something in the Bible. I mean, these things are okay, but we need to know um, where we stand at the end of the day. So Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 35 says this, Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life from, because of me and the gospel will save it. Now, this word follow after me, so Jesus is saying, first off, you have to deny yourself before you can actually follow me. And what does it mean to deny ourselves? It means to set aside our old life, our old passions, our old desires, and to fully trust and follow Jesus. Literally losing your life. Now, we're going to see a little later what that means in, um, in practical terms because we like to hold on to things. We like to um, hold on to anger and hate, um, especially if someone's doing us wrong, like the early church where they were being persecuted. How easy would it be to, to say, I hate you Romans. You are terrible. Don't you ever talk to me, right? I cannot stand you, the Roman. You are just pagan, right? Because they had every right. They could said, you know what? We're justified in Jesus. We hate you Romans. You're pagans. You're lost. We're not worried about you. But instead, Peter tells them to do something quite interesting. He says to treat them with gentleness that we'll get in a minute, which is just mind-blowing. John 15, 20. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Persecution is inevitable. Now, do you guys remember whenever um, Jesus was taken at the night in um, the Garden of Gethsemane and there was that mysterious man that took out a sword? 
Who do you think that was? That was Peter. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, what do you think? I always thought about this. P, I always see Peter as the guy in the front that, that if someone would look at Jesus the wrong way, he's like, hey, be careful. Hey, don't look at Jesus like that. You know? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Which we can relate to. <laughs> So the way Jesus laid down his life left an indelible mark on Peter, meaning a mark that stayed with him forever. The way of the cross was the advice Peter had to the persecuted and downtrodden church. All right, so this, I promised you guys last week that we were going to at least do one moment where we kind of chatted with each other in a comfortable space, as, as you, can, you can do. But um, if you can, find someone close to you. I just want you to share one simple moment of suffering in your life, and then one simple moment of rejoicing in your life. The first thing that comes to mind. Uh, would, would you guys agree that um, in today's terms, our view of suffering may be, may be a, just a little different perspective than what the early church's view of suffering was? Um, they, they, were, they were fearful of, of basically being put on a stake outside of Nero's home and lit on fire. Um, and I mean, that, that was a constant threat for them in the early church. So you can imagine some of the tension that was going on in, during that time. To return evil for good is unnatural. To return evil for evil is natural. To return good for evil is supernatural. Isn't that true? How we do that? We do that with the Holy Spirit. God called them, meaning the church, out to live lives with compassion and humility towards hostile pagans. Isn't that interesting? God says, hey, church, my son, my daughter, I don't want you to hate those who are trying to kill you and hurt you. I want you to love them. That is crazy. I mean, think about the person in your life that's hurt you the worst, how hard it was to forgive them. That's tough. That is hard. But it, what we see is that when we do apologetics at the cross, when we live our lives at the cross, we are to do what Jesus has told us to do. And Jesus has shown us, he's told us to live lives of compassion. And we see Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was encouraging the early church to love those who hate them. Of course, he says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do not fear. Do not be intimidated. Now, there may be a moment in my lifetime where there will be persecution here in America. You can argue easily that it's headed that way. We're not there yet to the point of what we saw in the early church, but we are definitely headed in that direction. I mean, I, I was listening um, to my professor, and uh, they were criticizing one of my sermons, which was just nerve-wracking. Even though it was an online class, I still was sweating bullets, but um, I, I, that's a good thing. But he mentioned how he doesn't use Google. <laughs> he said, I don't like the Google rabbi watching what I do. And basically, whenever you are on Google, the web browser, they watch what you do and they track you, which is why um, some of you, if you have social media, you go on Facebook and they give you an ad of something you were thinking about. Well, it's probably because you typed it in Google or looked it up 
And then Facebook is now trying to sell it to you because they get money from Google. But that, that's a whole other thing. Um, what, what, we, what we're getting back to is whenever we respond to someone, especially those who are hostile towards us, we are to respond with gentleness, respect, a clear conscience, and good behavior. So, so wait a minute. So I'm supposed to be good towards the people who hate me. Yeah, we are. Because it gives God glory and because it's his way of spreading his message. That's why. Kevin Van Hooser says, Peter's focus is not on what to say, but rather how to say it with love and compassion and gentleness. Now, this is really interesting because he calls the persecuted community to to gentleness and love and compassion. He also says to do this with humility. With humility. The the people that hate you, the people that are going against you, (laughs) the word of God says to approach them with humility. So how do you reason with people who hate you with humility? That's a good question, and it's what apologetics teaches us. Check out this video. Religion and free speech and the explosive intersection of the two. The Westboro Baptist Church is known for picketing the funerals of U.S. soldiers and Marines in protest over what the church sees as the ills of American society, gays in particular. Today, their free speech case ended up before the Supreme Court, but we wanted to know more about who they are and what they believe. To get answers, my co-anchor Terry Moran boarded the Westboro van for our series, Faith Matters. They're shocking. God showed his wrath to thee. They're cruel and outrageous and for most Americans, simply beyond the pale. Thank God for dead soldiers. But should they be against the law? What the members of the tiny Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas, do at the funerals of fallen soldiers and Marines seems to have violated an almost universal sense of basic human decency. And they know it, and they're proud of it. Well, you seem to have crossed a line for just about everyone. <laughs> you know what? How good that is for you to say that? That's good. Yes, because this nation has crossed every line of God's standards. For five years now, the few dozen zealots who belong to the Westboro Baptist Church, most of them are from one family, the Phelps clan, have been spewing a grim and dark message, a message they argue that it's their First Amendment right to spread. And today they brought that message and that argument to the Supreme Court. When you have a public funeral and you broadcast to the nation that that dead soldier is a hero and that God is blessing America, we will be there and tell you God is cursing America. That's Margie Phelps, whose father Fred founded the Westboro Church. She's their lead attorney, and that's one side of her. Yet this is her yesterday. Yes, that's her wearing the American flag around her waist. You ever hear that old saying about the... uh... The lawyer who represents herself as a fool for clients. Sure, I've heard that. And if I wasn't professional and if I didn't understand proper decorum, I've been representing this church for 20 years, and I've been picketing for 20 years, and I win them all. For the past four days, church members and their kids have been making their way to Washington for their big day in court, traveling from Topeka along I-70. All of these flags are going to have to go home and do the laundry. Yikers. Every couple of hours, they stop and picket or protest somewhere. 
Out come the hateful signs, up starts the hateful singing. This little church, as they like to call themselves, always attracts a loud crowd on the other side. We rode along with the church members as they headed to Arlington National Cemetery to protest there. Everyone I talk to about this case has the same reaction. And it's not friendly towards you. They'd like to shut us up. Is that the reaction they have? Is there no other way? Is there no other place? No. A funeral when they're, well, when they're mourning all, their babies. No, okay, wait a minute. Is Hold there up. no other place? The Can't you be more court, human than No, that? the trial court Can't said... Can't you be more decent than that? Time, place, and manner. Let's, the trial let's court give it to said, him. Let's let the ladies <laughs> sing okay, it for him. I'm getting it. Ready? Okay, just a second. What are they singing? Crying about your feelings for your sin. No shame. You're going straight to hell on your crazy train. That's what we're telling you. You have reduced this entire nation to a bunch of squally girls. Back on the road, there's a little praying. Praise that holy name and give thanksgiving, Lord. A little singing. And we And a lot of attention, a lot, to their media coverage. This tweet says we need a media blackout of the Westboro Baptist Church. They also had a story about a dead soldier out of Frederick. Do you like doing this? Oh, I love it. If you knew how fun. We just drove for four days in this van with nine people, including two little boys. And we stopped all along the way. It was our I-70 Godsmack tour. Yeah, they seem to enjoy what they do. They don't seem to care at all about the pain they cause, the pain you could still hear in the voice of Albert Snyder today outside the Supreme Court. It is something no family should have to live through. Albert Snyder's son, Marine Lance Corporal Matthew Snyder, was killed serving his country in Iraq in 2006. He was 20 years old. The Westboro Church picketed his funeral. I'm sorry that they raised their son for the devil in hell. I'm sorry that they let him have anything to do with the army and that he got himself killed over there defending a country. That's Fred Phelps, Margie's father and the pastor of Westboro. After his son's funeral, Albert Snyder sued Phelps and the church. That's why the case is in court. All we wanted to do was bury Matt with dignity and respect. Yesterday, church members rolled into Washington and headed to what they think is the center of everything that's wrong in the world, the White House. No hesitation, you got more perversion to display. But there's no part of you you haven't pipped already. Among the protesters on this chilly October afternoon, another counter-protester. Do I agree with their message? Absolutely not. But do I agree that they should have the right to come spread their filth? Unfortunately for all of us, yes, I do. Then Arlington, where just as soon as the busloads of Westboro members started singing, a group of veterans on motorcycles showed up to try to drown them out. But Westboro, not only are they used to these counter-demonstrations, they laugh at what their opponents do. Louder, ladies, louder! Mocking the motorcycle revving as their flag-dancing music, as they desecrate the flag Matthew Snyder and so many others buried here have died for. But they don't buy that idea. And we're not afraid. We're not afraid of, of any of these brutes out here. One of the reasons you're not afraid is because people like Matthew Snyder died. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> they are so proud, so defiant. And your army goes marching to hell. 
Aren't you ashamed of yourselves? Why would we be ashamed of ourselves for upholding the standard of God? The Westboro protesters are professionals at this, and Margie Phelps knows the law. The commitment in this nation is wide open, robust, public debate, up to and including the most outrageous talk. And if all you've got as the plaintiff is an adverse emotional impact, that's the words of the court. Let me put that in some colloquial street talk. You hurt my feelings. The First Amendment says you don't get $11 million. And at the end of the day, it seems the Westboro protesters know all they've really accomplished is to make themselves despised. By the way, you're getting all your bowing down. We're not stopping your bowing down. Who have we persuaded? Who have we changed? Nobody. What funeral have Zero. we stopped? What saluting have we prevented? No. What taps have we silenced? Not a one. Then get over yourself. Until the country changes its ways to suit them or the Supreme Court finds against them, this show will go on and on. For Nightline, I'm Terry Moran. Not how you do it. Um, I, hope, I hope that you know that that example is a terrible example. Westboro Baptist Church is still doing that. Now, with what you saw on the TV, does that have anything to do with what Peter's telling the persecuted church to do? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Did they use compassion? No. Did they use uh, good behavior? No. They have a right to pick it if they want. Did they use gentleness? No. They're not, they're not exhibiting any. They claim to uphold the standard of God, but here's the, kick, the kicker. They're claiming to uphold a standard of God that the word says no one can uphold. So what we are to do as Christians is we are not to be like that, most definitely. They, she, she said it herself. What they're doing is not making any impact. So why would you continue to do something that's continuing to do the same results, right? That's insanity. Doing the same thing, expecting different results. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it blows my mind. I actually, I don't know if you guys saw this, but you can look it up um, online. There was a reporter that actually went to the church, and um, he sat in the church. And this guy is sitting on the pulpit, okay, spewing just about every cuss word you can think of, preaching God's word. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. Well, <clears throat> and what really gets me is... Uh, there are lost people watching this happen, and that's like their only um, introduction to the church, and it just puts a bad name on us all. But when we stick to the text, we see that the correct way, right, is with gentleness, love, and also good behavior and a, clean con a clear conscience. But we see this appeal and defense. So an appeal is why should you believe, and the defense is why can you believe. So when we, as we continue to walk through apologetics, we're going to learn for ourselves and for those we talk to, why should we believe, why should they believe, and also, of course, why can you believe, providing evidence, providing examples, um, tangible things for people to grasp onto. Friends, I'll touch on this a bit, but the generation has come and passed where you can sit someone down and say, hey, let me tell you the good news, and you share the gospel with them. That, that's a way. You can do that. That's not bad. But we're combating so many different ideologies today. Our culture tells our youth 
that if you feel it's right, it's true. And so whatever they think in their mind is true, that's their absolute truth. So we have to learn how to give them an appeal and learn where they're coming from so we can share the gospel with them on their level. So, so let me ask you guys this. Do you think um, apologetics is relevant today? If so, why? Yeah, and, and, and apologetics, and I'm glad you brought that up, B.A., because that, an apologetic is, is you would learn how to have a response to that. And you would learn how to talk to your children, how to talk to your grandchildren in a way that is applicable to the culture. Because culture has changed. And you know what? 30 years from now, I'm going to be looking back and probably think, if the Lord doesn't come before then, I'm going to think, my, has things changed. I can't even, I can't, right now I can't fathom 30 years from now. I, I just see the earth not here and there's a new heaven. <laughs> I really, I really just cannot imagine 30 years. Um, hopefully the Lord will spare us. But in the meantime, we, we have to be urgent with the gospel message because there's people dying and going to hell, and, and we need to do everything we can to save some, as, as Paul says. But this is what I thought, and I think I may be able to relate with some, some of you with this. I used to think, aren't apologists all those really smart people? You know, they, they have PhDs, they have these, all these doctorates, and they, they go to all these ivory schools, and they know Scripture back to front by memory, and, and you know, they're quick on their feet. Um, I used to think that's what these people were. And I also thought that apologetics was a method that used the brain and not the heart. But I was wrong. That's not what apologetics is. See, we don't have to commit intellectual suicide to believe the Bible is true and trustworthy. We don't. There's actually ways that we can apply this to our life and believe it ourselves. Now, another reason that apologetics is still relevant today is because people are wondering if God is still working in their lives. Some people, I've, I've, talking to so, I've spoke to so many people that say, well, I just haven't heard God in a while, or I don't know if God's there. We live in such an uh, feeling central, emotional central culture that you know, someone who's not rooted in the scripture will think, well, I haven't felt God in a while, so he must not be there. That's very elementary, as we all know. We, we don't feel God 100% of the time. We believe and trust with faith that he's there because that's what the scriptures tell us. People are wondering why there's evil. We need to have an, an answer, an appeal, uh, and a defense to that. And we've had some great gospel conversations the last couple of months, and one of them was, why is there evil? And I said, man, that's a great question. You know, let, let me answer it for you. And I explained how, you know, I believe in the Scripture, and the Scripture says that we have a fallen world, and I explained what a broken, fallen world looks like and how these things just happen because it's a fallen world, but then transition into the hope, right? There's a hope of future, a hope of a citizenship in heaven. And so we need to know how to answer these questions. And, of course, people want to experience God, which kind of goes with number one and why they haven't. In 10 years. This is what I want. I want you guys to etch this in your brain, okay? Because this is so important. I want to free you tonight. I want, the, I want the word to free you. I want this apologetic study to free you. It's okay and good that your faith awakens curiosity. It's also beneficial for you to doubt certain things as they push you deeper into faith. You know, Cole and I had a staff meeting at one, and we were praying for you and the church together. And afterwards, he was doing some studying, and he said, hey, uh, I have a question about the Scripture. That always makes me nervous when someone says that. 
Uh, so we pulled out the scripture. He had, he had a question about Hebrews 10, and we talked about it. And uh, I said, well, brother, to, to be completely honest with you, I'm not sure. But if you would go ahead and look up the Greek tense for this word, and we were kind of talking back and forth. Um, I, I wasn't sure at first, but the curiosity of that verse really made, me, made us look. And so we, we digged into the verb tense of the Greek language, and we got all fired up because we figured it out, you know. Um, so curiosity is a good thing. And if you doubt, it's also a good thing because it pushes you deeper in your faith to search out the truth. Apologetics is no longer for, for just scholars. Debates are broadcasted and some college professors teach their classes with an atheistic mindset. We are in the day and age where someone can just type in latest apologetic debate and they'll see someone like Bart Ehrman, I think that's his name, and he's a New Testament scholar, but he's uh, agnostic. And he'll try to convince you that the scriptures are not real. And if someone doesn't have a good foundation, they'll believe what he says. So we have to know, we have to know without a shadow of a doubt that this is it. We are past the day and age where I believe it because my Sunday school teacher told me. That's no longer the times we live in. I wish we were back in that time because those were some simple, sweet times. Far, I, I can imagine they were. I didn't live in them. But um, when I was growing up in school, this ideology of absolute truth is whatever you think of it was already in our, in our generation so why is our society so quacky? I mean, isn't our society pretty quacky? <laughs> Anybody attest to that? So in the past, there was this framework of belief. And you guys experienced this when you were kids. Society as a whole had a framework of belief, of, of, a God, of God. There was, there was just a, a known God. It was, it was there. You know, it was in the classrooms. The teachers talked about it. It was at family dinners. It was at sporting events, and it was at colleges. A lot of these ivory schools were Christian colleges, but now they're about the most liberal and secular colleges in America. We're, we're past that time. And they are quacky because <laughs> in the past... Society as a whole wasn't brought into question, genuine belief was. So society as a whole believed in God. The question then was, do you have genuine belief? And, And to transition to today, the question is, is Christianity true? So there's no longer this framework of belief that Christianity is real and there's a God. The, the, the transition today is, is Christianity even a thing? Because people are seeing Westboro Baptists. People are hearing the crazy preacher saying, I've deconstructed. I don't believe in, in Jesus anymore. You know how many major, I'm talking celebrity-style pastors have come out in the last couple of years and said, I've deconstructed. Sorry, bro, but you can't deconstruct something that's already been constructed in the spiritual realm. You really were never saved. That's just my belief. It's a shame you know, social media and the internet's great, but I tell you, some ways it's not because kids are seeing these things and they're thinking, well, you know, I, I don't really need to believe in Jesus either. If so-and-so doesn't, they're doing fine. And you know this just as well as anybody. Because of our culture, as our kids grow up, they don't want to hear what we have to say. They want to hear more about what other people have to say. So what are some reasons that you guys would say um, in our culture that makes, that, that many people ask if Christianity is true. Let me ask that again. What are some reasons in our culture today that many people ask if Christianity is true? What, what makes people 
think that Christianity isn't true in our culture today. So because of this, faith is contested around every corner. Most believers live in the space of absolute faith or absolute doubt. Look, you guys know this since I started coming here, but um, your generation was really an amazing generation because you guys had the, the societal framework of belief. But we have a lot of work to do in our youth. And that's why I'm so passionate about the next generation because they don't have what you had. They don't. They are swimming in open waters with no lifeguards. You guys had a lifeguard at every 20 yards. These kids have nothing besides their parents, and we pray that they are godly, God-centered. It's, it's, it's worrisome, it's scary, and that's why we truly need to do the very best we can to teach this and to develop our youth and our children and our babies because they are growing up in a world that is just so dark. It's scary. But we're going to do what we can, and we're going to work hard at it. So because of this, we need an apologetic appeal, all right? So we're going to look at biblical appeal, historical appeal, philosophical appeal. Don't let that word um, throw you off or, or make you fearful. It, it's, not, it's not quite what you think it is. We're going to look at that, and it's, it's going to be simple, trust me, um, because I, I needed it to be simple to understand it. <laughs> Theological and practical. Uh, and as, as you know from last week, we talked about building, so apologetics, if, if you can imagine with me, uh, 20 acres of beautiful Southside Virginia land. You got pine trees, you got, you got to get rid of these trees to make a foundation to build your home, right? So you, you clear the land, that's what apologetics is. You clear the debris of skepticism and doubt, and then you start, you start building your foundation, and then you put your framework up. And then you make sure that's right. And, and then you start, you start putting your, your roof on. You start putting um, walls. And you make sure that everything's right and even. And, and even the part that nobody likes, you put up sheetrock. <laughs> but we know for sure that our apologetic home has to be sturdy. It has to be solid because culture is constantly trying to tear down our house. And uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, culture is getting pretty aggressive lately because culture is reaching its hand deep into our homes today. Deep into our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives. And Satan is trying to disrupt um, what God has put together. But we have to be prepared. So if a house that someone lives in is unlivable, and uninviting, then something is wrong. Michael Green says, one of the great needs of the modern church is for those who evangelize to improve their theological understanding and for those who are theologically competent to come out of the ivory tower and evangelize. The first Christians point us in that direction. Isn't that interesting? So what do we do from here? What do we do from this week? Pray for opportunities to speak with someone about Jesus and know how to give an appeal. Don't just say, Jesus is the answer. You need to accept him. Don't just say that. Have a, have a thought out, reasonable explanation for why you trust Jesus. 
What's the, where's the historical evidence? How can the resurrection be real? Know how to answer why is there evil? This is the point, and I plead with you and I beg you, hear me out. There are people in this community dying and going to hell. That has got to get our feathers a little ruffled. Because hell, as we know it in the scripture, is an absolute terrible place. And if we follow 1 Peter chapter 3, and we even love with compassion and gentleness those who hate us, we will love with compassion and gentleness anyone that we come in contact with because we want them to see the Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I I pray right now, Lord, that you would help us to understand what a divine appointment is, Father. When that moment comes when we're speaking with someone and that, that soft, gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we hear it in our mind and our hearts that tells us to start steering the conversation towards you. Lord, may we be obedient in that moment. Even if we're busy, even if we're, we got somewhere we need to go, Father, let us take that moment and obey you. It's in those little moments, Lord, that the gospel seed can be planted. And I pray that we take those seriously. I pray that we take missions seriously. I pray that we take outside these walls more serious, Father, than we've ever taken it before. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for tonight. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming.